Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion to our Crack Racket shows. Of course, you all know him now as the head coach of the Baylor men's tennis team. I know him as the man with the best office college tennis ball display in all, I'm going to say, of the world. It is our friend Michael Woodson. Coach, welcome back to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Alex. Appreciate you having having me on and, and all all that you do to cover college tennis. Um, and I also appreciate the the reach to try to say something nice about me and all the <laughs> other ones. It's national champion, head coach, top five player in the world. This guy is an insane tennis ball collection. I mean, the guy runs <laughs> behind the courts and grabs nice balls like, like with the best of them. So uh, really appreciate you uh, finding something nice to say about me today. Well, I had like a short list of things I was going to go with. I was going to get the man who gave us his flu game when we were down in Waco because your interviews, I mean, you had no voice left looking back at some of the things <laughs> we did. And it was one of the best performances I've ever seen. I was going to say, what, the youngest 39-year-old I've ever met, 38-year-old. It's even younger than that, right? Thir- I'm I was 32, but thank Yeah, you. exactly. The youngest 32-year-old I've ever met, um, or the oldest 32-year-old I've ever met, depends on which way you want to go there. But yeah, those were on the, the, the cutting board, I suppose. But it is always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you. And yeah, I've got the chance to see you a couple times this fall in Valpo and over in Waco. But of course, first things first, and maybe this is why I say oldest 32-year-old I've ever met. Um, you know, it, year one was 2021 for you in the book, in the books. And obviously, you know, your team, big 12 regular season co-champions, big 12 tournament champions, NCAA finalists, national indoor finalists, that's year one. As you look back as, at the last 18 months, what sort of whirlwind has it been for you? Man, I, I'm just impressed. I think we're on minute two here and we're going to talk about the Baylor Bears. I mean, I've just been <laughs> listening to our preview and 22 minutes in, my wife and I are like, I wonder if he's ever going to say the word Baylor to talk about this team. I mean, I know Texas's lineup one through nine. I've got Tennessee's 12 guy and exactly how he plays. We're talking about women's transfers. I'm like, when are we going to talk about Baylor? They should change the title of this podcast. <laughs> it's deceiving. Yeah, well, look, I got to get Chris and Matt warmed up. They're not always their freshest at the start of the pod, so I need to work them in. I was also, as you may have heard in the pod, asleep before. Yeah, so I'm so excited to talk about <laughs> Baylor. I'm going to take a nap. I mean, gosh, 
I should, I've got some stuff up in the locker room talking about how we're not going to do well this year. I, I should add that. I was saving this till the end. Can we just notice the shirt oh, wow. I'm wearing? 2021. I appreciate big, that. Yeah, big maybe, 12 coverage. Maybe if you treated us a little bit better, you could get one of those quarters in. <laughs> oh, oh, there's it. We're in. We're going. All right. Well, then let's talk about the losses. No, um, no. Let's talk first, obviously, again. The past 18 months for you, just in general, I know you'd obviously been an assistant at Baylor for some time, and you'd grown comfortable in Waco, but you know, you get the head job in the summer, and you're bringing in back a team with a ton of talent, but then you also incorporate Nick, Charlie, Spencer into the mix, and again, this is all year one on the job for you, and as I've said on other pods, what I learned most is that when you're a head coach, it's not just about the tennis, it's everything else that comes with it. What have these past 18 months been for you? Yeah, it's, it's definitely been a whirlwind. I think it, it's been that way for, for most of the world. Um, you know, we're, we're going through an un- unprecedented time here and so much change, so much difficulty, so much loss, um, you know, that, that it, we've been through a lot. And I think these players, this university has been through a lot. And, you know, we've been, we've been extremely fortunate to have great leadership. Um, it's, it starts all the way at the top, you know, with, with President Livingstone and, and our athletic director, Mac Rhodes. And, you know, when, when we start to, when we have that type of leadership and they put the resources and the staff and the people in place, around us as as coaches it really lifts us up um you know and it's such an attractive place to be for for a student athlete and i mean what can i say more than we have an incredible staff here and and we have incredible players um you know that that they all came together you know this wasn't the hand that they were dealt they didn't choose to come play for me uh they they chose to either be here or to stay here because of baylor university and the program and each other um, and they banded together and were able to accomplish some really special things. So all, all credit to them and, and to the unbelievable number of staff members that lift me up every day. So so as to avoid talking about Baylor anymore, Jeffrey Schorsch or Adrian Boyton, one match, number one singles, who are you lining up with? You know, I, <laughs> I, <laughs> that's a really difficult question. I, I Honestly, I think Adrian's the first player I've had that would play ahead of Jeffrey. Um, And and that's the honest truth. I I mean, I'm I'm sure I might be making some players mad, but (laughs) I think the reality is he was a a generational talent. Um, I mean, you're looking at Rinder Nash, he's inside the top 50. I mean, Jeffrey routined him here at a Futures right after they both graduated. I mean, three and four wasn't even competitive, really. Uh, He beat him. He beat Rinder Nash in doubles, too, to knock him out of the NCAA tournament. I mean, that guy is one of the best players in college that no one will ever talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's beaten, I mean, Corda and, you know, I mean, all these guys that are now going on to do exceedingly well. Um, but he just didn't love, he loved to compete for the team. He loved, he wanted to do something special at a place where he can make an impact. And, and I mean, he'll go into the hall of fame. He, he's arguably the greatest athlete to ever play at Valparaiso university in any sport. Um, I mean, at a time where guys got drafted and went and played in the NBA the next year, he won student athlete of the year, uh, which just tells you what everybody there thinks about. And so, you know, he's a really special person. I could talk for hours about him Um, and he's happy as can be. He's married. He has two dogs. I mean, he's, he's in a profession that he loves and uh, he's just a special young man, but Adrian's the first guy that I've had that I would play ahead of him um, in a lineup. 
Yeah. Um, now, if it, and it's a different time, but I think he's he's a special guy, and um, yeah, it would be tough. I mean, Jeffrey would give him a handful, even if he just walked walked out uh, out of his house and onto the court right now. That's just how that kid is. But um, they would, uh, yeah, I would say it's it's a toss up, but I'll take Adrian. Yeah, no, and again, having had the chance to spend some time with you at Valpo and getting to know you a little bit better here, people you've competed with, have coached, talk more about you. You know, they talk about someone who just, and I talk again, oldest 32 year old ever, who seemed ready to be a head coach, who had been preparing for this for so long. And again, year one for you at the helm, were you prepared for all the, the different things thrown your way? Did you, and it just feels like, again, you and Baylor having been around that, it just feels like a very good fit. Well, I think the older you get, the more you realize you don't know what the heck you're doing. And sure. you, you, you just, there's so many things. Oh, I've seen it all. I mean, you know, I've been coaching, this is year 10. And I feel like I've, you just feel like you've seen it all. And then the next day happens and something new that you've never seen happen before that you've never dealt with. And you just lean on, you know, great, great leadership, great mentors, great friends, um, you truly are a compilation of the five closest people in your life and you just have to choose wisely and um, you know I've been very fortunate to have incredible people around me it starts with my family my wife um, you know my my staff here the coaches that I've worked for in the past are, are have been incredibly influential on me I have mentors that you know are watching the live streams and critiquing me as a coach not watching the tennis watching me and how I react I mean that people that choose to pour into me like that, I, I wouldn't be where I am today without individuals like that. I mean, and, and I am very blessed and fortunate to have a family full of coaches and a family full of athletes that were way better athletes than me. I mean, <laughs> most most families can't say they've won a World Series, they've won multiple national championships in college, have played five different Division One sports. And then there's me that played D1 tennis at an okay <laughs> level. You know, I mean, seriously, I'm the worst athlete in the family, and that's not an understatement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it, it's really uh, special to have that type of, of environment and those type of people to be around me just to help me get through every day and do, to serve the young men that we, you know, we serve as best we possibly can. I really couldn't do it without them. Yeah. Oh, well, you talk about riding the coattails of others' success. 34 and 5 last season. Obviously, a testament to what your players were able to do throughout the course of the year. And, you know, I'm curious always if there's a moment in a season because you knew how talented you were. But, I, and we'll go through the numbers, what the uh, transfers were able to do, four, five, six, just their routine success throughout the course of the year. But, was there a moment when you started to realize, particularly, you know, with Adrian making the jump that he did and Matias playing as well as he did at two, where, you know, you might have a special group on your hands? You know, this is going to throw you a curveball, but I think it's good for you. Um, you know, <laughs> Spencer um, got here and it was, you know, last fall, I mean, and I, I can't complain, the Big 12 had a much more productive fall than basically anybody else besides the SEC. But when we, when all of our guys returned to campus, and we had five guys that didn't come until January, but but the guys that came in the fall, um, it, they had to quarantine for two weeks, and then they had to do all these different test tests, COVID tests, antibody tests, and Spencer uh, tested positive for the antibodies, which means he had had the virus at some point, and at this point back then it was very serious, and we had to go through all of these different testing. Well, then when he when they did some testing some other things came back and 
he couldn't play. He could not step out onto the court for the first six weeks of the fall. He lost almost the entire fall, and it was the most frustrating thing for him. I felt terrible because he wants to have this one ride, and we're going to have this special season, and the guy can't even get out of his room. Um, and they won't even let him bike for 10 minutes. And uh, it, it was all the right thing. We made all the right medical decisions, but it was very hard on him personally. And he stepped out onto the court in the first practice, and, and I looked at him, and, I, and Izak and I just looked at each other, and we're like, holy crap, we're going to be really good. It, it was like he was the piece of this guy didn't care what he'd been through it didn't matter what was thrown at him he's going to be right there at the end and he was that way the entire year and each one of the guys kind of did that but he was the one where I looked at him and I saw him train and I thought holy crap we're gonna be good what percentage of the year did he and Nick nag you to play them together mm, once only <laughs> once Okay. And I think it was Spencer. Nick, <laughs> Nick was like, Nick, Nick wasn't good. Nick was going to do whatever. He was so excited. He, I could have put him, you know, upside down in a chair in the corner and he'd have been happy. And Spencer was like, Hey, listen, like we were good. Like we, we can really play well together. And, uh, and they were good. You know, they were good. It was just, it was interesting that we just getting the lineup right and doubles, especially was really hard. Um, and we did, I don't think we really figured it out until kind of the end of the year. Um, you know, but the, those guys, it ultimately worked better for us to have some guys only playing doubles and some guys only playing singles. And, and we were able to find the right mix. It just took a while. And, and I think given more time, Nick and Spencer would have been good together. We just, uh, we didn't have the time. Yeah, no. And, you know, speaking of that, 34 and 5, 39 matches. That's the most of any coach I've interviewed thus far. You also, I think, played 15 players in singles last year. And obviously, you play a bunch of matches. You're going to play more players. Or maybe it's 14, not 15, excuse me. But you, you play 14 players in singles. And, I mean, I know part of – I'm just curious how much of you scheduling the way you did last year, playing that many people, was a byproduct of having that big a roster size. You know, what did you learn from that experience? Well, and and I'm waiting for you to give us the crown for the most doubles teams played. It's oh, 19. We'll get there. So, <laughs> okay, I just want to make sure. We, you know, there was somebody that 18. We had 19. So, uh, and I was kind of disappointed. I thought we got to be at like 30. You know, all the matches that we played, we played everybody. Um, but uh, you know, we really it was a it was a, a special team, and it, it was a large group of of really talented players. I mean, we felt like going 12 13 we're, we're really deep and we'll play you know we played smu where we played 12 guys you know and um we had those days where we we played 12 different guys and we we still had guys we couldn't get matches and we were playing extra matches on the back when we had already played 12 guys um we were playing anybody that would say yes to play us it didn't matter if they were the number one team in the country or or a, or d3 nai school uh you know and and i thought that really helped us because it kept as much as we could it kept everybody engaged and working hard uh, but it also helped us really i mean for us it was we're going to play anyone anywhere at any time uh, we're going to be ready and we had all kinds of different things thrown at us throughout the year but playing those matches taking them very seriously and giving everybody the respect that they deserve and competing as hard as we can to beat everybody as bad as we could really made our guys better in my opinion be arrogant and i want to be clear you are not an arrogant person for our listeners this is me trying to draw this response out of coach woodson if you could have made two equally balanced lineup of your 14 players two equally balanced lineups 
both Sweet 16? I mean, there are a lot of really good teams out there, Alex. <laughs> I mean, but but if it, you know, one of the the things that was hard for us as a staff was seeing guys like Connie and Ryan and Finn and Alex Seb. Um, I mean, I'm sure I'm for, I'm forgetting people. Uh, you know that the, those guys were such good players and such talented players. They were working, you know, so hard. Um, great attitudes. You know, they they came in and they won matches whenever we we needed them to. We thought in a year like this with COVID that this was going to be we're we're at such a huge advantage here. We have all this depth. We had one guy get sick. wasn't COVID. It was Spencer. He, he, no injuries the entire year. Um, and they just kind of rolled right from the beginning and we're like, geez, I mean, we, we got to go with what's working, um, you know, and so I, I do think that those guys, you know, are going to have great success now, either with us elsewhere on the pro tour, some of them are playing. Uh, those guys are really, really good. I mean, Connie's record in dual matches that before last year was like 81 and four. Um, I mean, it was absurd how good he was. Uh, and, you know, he had come back from an injury and he started slow. Uh, and I think that's why he ended up just playing doubles. I was worried about his shoulder for most of it. Um, and then he was playing really well by the end. He makes the semis. I mean, they absolutely came that Florida team at number one doubles in the NCAs, and I think a lot of credit to Connie. Um, Ryan was always right there. Finn, you know, Finn was, you said it yourself, Finn and Charlie might have been the best doubles team in the NCAA tournament team event. Um, you know, those guys were there and ready. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that they had it in them, you know, but I, I don't have a crystal ball. Um, but they definitely, we had, we had 12 guys that were just, really really good tennis players we'll let chris run those numbers um but <laughs> you know i the reason i ask all these things is you have 12 players on the roster this year and you know it's a good blend some freshmen some transferring in as well is that something that will be a you know staple of coach woodson rosters moving forward do you like the bigger size rosters or again you talk about trying to balance all those playing opportunities i'm sure there's a lot of stress for you and isak when it's like hey we need to get finn a match today or you know let's get dicky a match we haven't played him in a while all these different things Uh, you know might that not be something you change moving forward yeah it's really difficult i think you know it wasn't the the number of players that we had on the team was was out of our control um you know it wasn't something that we really had signed up for necessarily i don't think anybody did the players or the coaches but i think they were all the right people to be here in that moment and i think it really worked well um you know i and i'm forgetting chris and chris has been out for an injury with an injury so long it was it's been frustrating for him uh, that's a whole different story but he's back now which is exciting um but wasn't available for a lot of last year um but you know the that's a really difficult position to be in i think you know coaches have different numbers of players for different reasons um i I think my ideal number personally is somewhere between 10 and 12. um you know and you need depth you absolutely need depth things happen um you know you need guys you, you need guys for a lot of different reasons um, but at the same time, there, there can be too many when you're trying to run a developmental program where you're giving a lot of individual attention to each player. And, and I feel like we do it really well. The staff is incredible. I mean, you know, here it, it's still we get spread too thin. 
Uh, you know, we need to need to put the pieces in place where a, a guy like a Marco or a guy like an Adrian um, feel like they're getting better treatment, that they're being trained at a higher level than what they could get at home or from their federation or complement the federation. Uh, and so we have to be able to do that at a high level if we're going to continue to get the best players. Um, you know, and, and develop them at a clip that's higher than everybody else's. That's our only chance to continue to have success and, and keep this thing going. Um, and so I would say 10 to 12 is our number. Um, we have 12 this year. We feel really good about the guys that are in the locker room. They all are hungry and team oriented and uh, excited to get better individually and as a group. So uh, I think that number will fluctuate. Certainly, it probably does everywhere. But uh, I think for me, 10 to 12 is the right number. You talk about the developmental aspect, and this has been something I've wanted to explore uh, with coaches here down the stretch of these Power 5 interviews. How do you balance with your team? And I'm sure, again, when it's 14 or 12, it gets that much more difficult. You know, the individual development all of these players need. Adrian is not the same as Finn. Sven is not the same as Matthias. Balancing that with, again, getting those team practices in, making sure the culture, the camaraderie is built. How do you balance those two things within the 20-hour framework? I think that there's no limit to the number of hours I can get Isaac out on the court and George out on the court. And, um, you know, I think it, it is really difficult. And I would say a real challenge for a lot of coaches is that you're not just coaching the tennis. It's not just going out on the court and working with them all day. You have to, you have to fundraise, you have to promote, you have to work with, you know, your, your business office and budgeting, you have to do scheduling, you, you have to recruit. I mean, you, you have to get some more players at some point, uh, you know, and all of those things take up parts of your day. So you really need to have a staff that allows you as coaches to, to focus on the tennis. Um, as much as possible. Now, I love the role that I'm in because I like all of those different things um, and having an opportunity to work with people in all of these different areas is what's fun and exciting about the job. It's not just feeding tennis balls all day, mm-hmm. but the, the real joy is to make an impact on a, on a young person's life and spending time with them, not just on the court, but off the court. And, uh, you, you have, in order to develop these guys, you need, they need individual attention. What, you know, what you need is different from what I need on the court. If we're out they're doing the same thing every day where one of us might get better but the other one might not i mean you know if you talk to maxime cressy the the big change he had from his junior to his senior year was he said oh i don't need to stand at the baseline and rally foreign's cross court while everybody else is i need to chip and charge i need to serve and volley that's what i'm doing in a match i should practice it if anybody knows cressy i think we had five guys beat him that you know in our time before he even played in the lineup there because he couldn't serve wide on the deuce he couldn't so we no ad point you pick deuce you stand on the tee you're going to break him and you it just takes once and now he can serve wide on the deuce because he's worked on it um and i I thought that was such a i mean we always felt like that's what we should do but to me that was a huge moment where i'm like maxime cressy's rallying from the baseline in practice because that's what everyone else is doing um you know and and him and his coaching staff making that decision that this is what he needs and doing it like credit to coach martin and that staff to for unlocking that potential in him um and, and i think you know we learn from from individuals like that that this is what we need to do to give our guys the best chance to succeed what adrian needs is different from matthias is different from Sven, mm-hmm. and we just have to put that time as coaches in uh, each guy has 20 hours maybe it's 60 for us yeah sure no that that's half the fun and you know again oldest 32 year old out there 
you know, I, I always say if I'm going to say something about someone, I'll say it to their face as well. And it's not a bad thing. I called you the CEO of the program in our podcast about uh, your team coming into this season. And, you know, to hear you talk about balancing not just the on-court things, but the marketing, everything as well. Is that a fair assessment of the head coaching role? Like, I, I do feel as though that is what you're doing. I mean, if you sit down with Dave Aranda, the football coach, and talk about the things that he's dealing with versus what I'm dealing with, he's the CEO. (laughs) I'm a a small business owner. You're the regional manager. Yeah, I'm like, okay. I mean, I've got, you know, 15 people and 12 players. He's got like 125 players and 75 staff members. And I'm like listening to him. We're talking one-on-one. Like, this is unbelievable. I mean, (laughs) I'm so happy that I'm in the role that I'm in. I I don't know how you even do it. You even know the names of the people that you work with? You know, (laughs) there's so many. Um, So, and it's, it's more of a, you know, you, you can have better relationships and build strong personal relationships with your staff, with your players. And I feel like you can make more of an impact. You know, I, I certainly feel like there's a lot of different things at play here. And you talk about in all these other pods, oh, is it 20% X's and O's? Is it, you know, you're probably right. I mean, it, it is. I mean, I th- this morning, for example, I mean, I had to deal with, with meal plans. I had to deal with fundraising. We had to deal with recruiting, scheduling. We had to, you know, deal with, um, you know, scheduling something like this, interviews and stuff, all, be- all before I even walked out the door of my house in the morning to even consider, hey, we've got training this morning. We've got individuals. We've got different things. So it, it does happen, and you just have to roll with it. But to me, that's fun. Every day is different. You have no idea what to expect tomorrow, um, you know, both with dealing with 18 to 23-year-olds and the uncertainty that that comes, especially boys, um, you know, as well as the job is just ever evolving and ever changing and, and you're always pursuing better you always want to get better every single day i don't want to look back and say the program you're not staying the same you're either improving or you're getting worse mm-hmm. no it's and again having gotten to spend down time down there in waco obviously i think what the school is willing to do for the tennis program they need any anything they're accommodating anything you guys require to get you better on any given day and you know again with that in mind let's talk about the team last year and you know to me again we can just get into the big stuff because there's a lot of success throughout the course of the year but one of the things i noticed most in watching you know the difference between your team in say the national indoor final and your team in the ncaa championship final was the energy you guys came out with at the start of the match, in particular the energy in the doubles point. I mean, you guys took the doubles point against Florida, obviously. You weren't able to do that against North Carolina, but even more than that, I thought you guys came out flat in the national indoor final. Like, there was a little scene shock, right, of being in that championship match, and I didn't see that in in the NCAA championship. Is that a fair assessment of the difference? Even if the outcome may have, in the end, been somewhat similar, I do feel like there was a tangible difference in the way your team competed beginning to end of season. No, I I totally agree with you. I think, you know, some of that is it's hard to say you have experience or to be in those roles and and own it without having experience being in in difficult situations. And, I mean, the reality of the situation is uh, the guys last year hadn't been in those those moments. pretty much at all a couple of them you know in the quarters and um of NCAAs in 2019 but 
you know, I, I thought it was hard. I thought it was hard for the Duke guys to play against Carolina. They never beat in Carolina. There was this stigma. They're not wearing that uniform anymore, but it felt like, oh, we're playing these guys and they're supposed to beat us. Um, you know, and that was hard. I think it, by the end of the match, we were in it. And, and that was the, that was a good sign for the guys. I think it was really hard to lose that match, but I thought it was really powerful to see, you know, Matias is up four zero in the third on rinky, even though he didn't have an exceptional year, according to you. And, uh, you know, he is like Sven was five all not playing that well. Adrian had five all Charlie won in 15 minutes. Um, you know, and then Spencer got it back. He's three, three in the third and Nick had a breaker, you know, an opportunity there to, to, to turn it. And I felt like if you turn one or two of those matches, like Matias about to win Spencer's not gonna he never loses he's not gonna lose you know down there and now it's now it's a war um, and so we walked off thinking oh you know we thought this was the best team in the country we had put them up on a pedestal um, they're not and we we if we have so much room for improvement we played a really bad doubles point and we started slow and we still almost had an opportunity to win at the end. Uh, and so I think that that set us on a really nice path. I mean, not to mention we had some confidence from some really nice performances the couple of the days before. And, um, you know, we just played a really difficult schedule. So by the end, it felt like, well, I mean, what else could you possibly throw at us? We've seen it all. No, I think the best match I saw at the National Indoors from any team was you guys beating Texas in the semifinals, where you guys were just locked in. That was actually the quarters. We beat Illinois in the semifinals. Yeah, quarters, excuse me. Yeah, Yeah. quarters where you guys, especially with what Texas went on to do, it was just like, oh, okay, like, nope, this team. And then, yeah, 4-0 over Illinois the next day as well. And it was very, very clear you guys belonged in that final um, yeah, I mean, you know, again, looking throughout the year, the 34-5, and five, there were some funky matches, no doubt. You take the doubles point, but drop the top four against TCU or whatever it was, the four of the top five. And, you know, Texas A&M, a match that got rescheduled at the National Indoors, you beat them. But, of course, it's always tough to beat a team twice. They get you on one day as well. You know, that said, do you feel like your team played their best tennis come the NCAA tournament you know do you feel like you had your team peaking at the right moment I do I think you know in the middle of March I think we were tired um Mm -hmm. you know it it seemed very clear when we played A&M and and all credit to them I mean Steve did a phenomenal job getting that team ready uh to compete they didn't even have hottie in that match and they had so much energy they outplayed us in the doubles really good energy in the singles and you know we ended up losing 4-3 um adrian i mean adrian sprained his ankle um spencer had a tough one but uh and couldn't turn it but you know they it really came down i think to matias and and val and val got him in three sets and um you know really impressive performance by them but but we looked tired and it, and it allowed us to take a step back and say okay guys it's a long season you know we're we're in a good spot here uh, we we just need to we need to make sure we're taking care of the guys that are playing a lot and they're winning a lot but they're playing a lot mm-hmm. uh, and we've played a ton diff- very difficult schedule very taxing mentally and physically and so we did take a step back and, and kind of reboot uh, and I think that that helped us going into NCAs and and honestly by the time that we got to Florida we were having so much fun as a team that 
we didn't really even i mean we didn't care about the result we just wanted to play like let's play one more day together let's let's spend one more day together let's go to drive shack and and do silly stuff at the dinner table where we're impersonating each other and uh you know let's just go out there and and cheer for cheer for each other one more night and i think that's brought the best tennis out of the majority of the guys for sure because they really enjoyed it Mm -hmm. who does the best impression of someone Oh man, Ryan! Uh, Ryan, <laughs> Ryan, Ryan's impression of Charlie is incredible, uh, yeah. you know, and and to be honest, Ryan's impression of our trainer Emily is also incredible. Yeah. Uh, so I, I would say it's probably Ryan, and I, I think you know it, when you're doing something like that, it's like how much are you willing to to kind of get out of your comfort zone, and are you gonna? Is it too far? Like are what you doing? You know, and and if you're okay with like towing that line but also i'm kind of making a fool out of myself by acting this way mm-hmm. ryan is not afraid to do that you know he is good for the performance mm-hmm. um and did a great job <laughs> yeah no absolutely and you know with all that said let's talk about your team's ncaa tournament run um you know you would maybe say the oregon match would i mean we've talked about it. they played you much tougher than the 4-0 scoreline would indicate in that second round but you know i was on the call for the Ole Miss match and I'm not going to say there was ever a moment where we th- where I thought, all right, Baylor might lose today. But there was probably a 10 to 15-minute stretch where I thought, oh, man, they might get pushed to 4-3. Like, this match could come down to, you know, all the marbles. And then, you know, it did feel like from there your team picked up some momentum. Fair assessment? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I, I don't – we didn't overlook Ole Miss. Um you know, I think a couple of guys saw their record and, and that was a mistake because I mean, 11 and 10, you know, going into NCAs doesn't mean that they're not a good team and that they can't play at every single spot. Um, you know, I, but I, and we came out, we knew that they were good at doubles and we came out, we kind of punched them in the mouth and doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we won that pretty easily, uh, really up big on all three courts. I thought that was good, but I do think we took our foot off the gas um, didn't play the conditions well at all, uh, you know, that day and, and got ourselves into some trouble. I think outside of Spencer really rolling. Um, and then, you know, Nick, Nick battled and then the guy kind of rolled, you know, he, he gave up against Nick, um, in the second set. I thought that was, those were the guys that really stepped up and played the conditions well, but I think the other guys really struggled in those conditions. Um, you know, I, but I think we kind of needed that, you know, we were a little flat, the, the, the atmosphere wasn't great. Um, and, but I think we are, we make the atmosphere what it is. And, and that's where I was, was a little bit frustrated with the guys and with ourselves for not really having them ready um, in singles to to keep pushing that it's obviously not going to be easy to make it to the quarterfinals and uh and we kind of looked like that for a little while uh in the singles and so it was good to be able to get over the hump there i thought we kind of finished strong on a few courts and we're in a good position at the end but there was definitely a time where we it was anybody's anybody's match yeah, and I believe you guys played TCU, what, three times last year? Four, maybe? Four. Uh, during, four yeah, yeah, the dual match season. So that's never an easy quarterfinal match. You get through that one 4-1. Talk to me what you, it's going through your head. Adrian, Matias, next to each other. 3-2 against Tennessee. Tennessee takes a very hotly contested doubles point, that 1-0 lead. And, you know, Luca is giving Nick the business on uh, four. And just it seems like they have a lot of momentum your team's able to fight back from that fine four f- singles victories. What'd you learn about them that day? 
I think, you know, I mean, Sven set the tone. Uh, mm-hmm. Spencer, Spencer, Spencer's going to win. I mean, you <laughs> just put him down there, like, you know, t- t- report the score when it's over. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I mean, honestly, one thing I, I'm surprised you guys don't talk more about is how well Andrew Rogers is doing at Pepperdine. I mean, sure. that guy is had a heck of a fall. Coach Shagterly is doing an insane job with him. I mean, wow. And that wasn't the guy that we saw um, when we played them in the semis. And so credit to him and his the staff there at Pepperdine. I mean, so all due respect to him. I mean, that guy's doing incredibly well. It's been really fun to watch because I think he's a great, great young man from a great family. And uh, it's cool to see that that type of success for him. But Spencer did did well, and that was kind of what he had been doing um, the whole tournament. Uh, but Sven came out like a, I mean, shot out of a rocket against Prada. And that was not something that I think Tennessee expected. And Prada's kind of their fighter and it, yeah, it's close all the time, but like he's there at the end. I mean, and you bagled them, you know, and, and even though it was really close and we lost the doubles point, when everybody looks around and Sven is rolling um, and he's fiery like he is, he was then, he kind of found a swagger, you know, he had started to find it and it really kind of came to a head there uh, against Fernley in this quarters. And then he came out against Prada and just, just you know lit him up um that was really impressive and and i thought it's going to be close but I, I think we're gonna i mean we're gonna find three of these other points or two of these other points once Sven put one on the board we thought spencer's coming um we can find two of these other three or four matches um really i mean it's hard to bet against adrian matias nick and charlie um and and you know giles played a great match against charlie so they got that one but you know, Spencer went for it in the big moments. And, and I really felt like that was the difference, you know, to be honest. I, I think in those big situations, Adrian, Matias, and Nick went for their shots. Yeah. Um, and, and I would have been happy with either result, just that they trusted themselves to go for it and they enjoyed the moment. Yeah, no, and it was, again, an electric environment for that semifinal. An environment only surpassed by what we saw in the final. And again, can't emphasize enough. Well, let's just start here. Was it the fourth delay or the fifth delay in the match that, you know, maybe grinded your gears? Because, what, the match was scheduled for 8 p.m., 9 p.m., maybe something like that, and it got started, what, 10, 10.30 around then? 7, yeah, I think we were supposed to start at 7. I don't know. We were there for a long time. I mean, um, we knew it was going to be wild. Um, you know, when when guys were getting when students were getting thrown out of the stands <laughs> during the warm-up because they were gonna you know because they had had too many uh, beverages and showing the beverages to our players and how they're going to shove them down our throats and all that stuff um that was when we kind of we knew it was going to be nasty uh, we knew that florida was gonna was gonna have quite a crowd and a special environment we really love that i mean that's what it's all about right um but w- when I saw some of that, I was like, oh, okay. You know, I mean, the, the, now, now it's a party. Um, this is going to be a, this is going to be a lot of fun. And, you know, thankfully they showed us their hand bef- during the warmups um, that they were going to play dirty, um, you know, and uh, that kind of prepared us. And at the end of the day, I mean, it delivered, I think our guys were ready. It didn't matter. We had had so many delays in different situations from Texas. It rained. We had to wait forever to play that match at, on the road earlier in the year. National indoors was weird because every match was delayed. So we're just waiting around to play. So that, that felt kind of normal. Um, you know, I think the, the warm up part where 
the fans were kind of watching the warm up instead of the the women's match that was going on i think was different um but you know we were we were ready to go and and i thought that our guys handled handled the environment as as well as they could i thought that the um you know, I thought that everybody that worked there from the USTA and, and the security, I think they, and the, the referees, I mean, they did the, as best they could to control the environment. Mm-hmm. No, I, again, it's, it was one of those scenes that is what makes college tennis so special. No doubt about that is just that you can have ruckus crowds. And again, 20 people at a college tennis match make a bigger difference than a full football stadium. You had a few more than 20, we'll say, uh, in Orlando. Yeah, yelling at your guys. That said, again, you look at the season, and I think by the end of the year, and I want to, you know, this is how we can talk about your guys moving forward, because with all due respect to Nick, Charlie, Spencer, they're old news, right? And I do think there's something to saying about, you know, we projected last year, well, they all could be really good, and if they're in the bottom of the line, if they could be lights out, and there is something to, well, they were lights out, and how do you duplicate that? And I want to get to that, but I also think there's some inherent growth available, and I know you can all listen to our GSP preview of the Baylor Bears right now, but I think there's still some room for growth in the top three. Like, as good as they were last year, I think they can be even better, and that starts with Adrian, who obviously had a spectacular fall in summer on the Pro Tour. But having been at the NCAAs last year, and, you know, he's up 7-5-4-3 on Valet in that championship final, and what was it, semifinals, I want to say, for him, of the NCAA singles tournament as well. It was pretty clear by the end of the season that he was a top 10, top 5 sort of guy in college tennis, and I'm curious, again, what you guys have been doing and what you can do moving forward to help him take even that next step and become the guy at number one, which I think he's capable of being. Absolutely. I mean, you know, Adrian's grown so much in three years that he's been here. And, um, you know, I think that's a credit to the, to the support staff that we have, I think to, to him and his, um, you know, his dedication to being the best that he can be to the teammates that he has around and pushing him every day. Um, it's it's been fun to see his growth physically, personally, and and you know professionally as as a player. Uh, it's it's been really special, and I think he does have a lot of room for for improvement. I mean, the the biggest strides he made over a couple of years is just physically um, getting healthier, getting stronger, um, and then you know maturing as a as a disciplined practicer, and then taking that onto the match court. I mean, the guy's going to bring his best tennis under pressure. That's a given. Um, you know, he's going to compete really hard, but but making sure that he has the tools in order to be able to go out onto that court and compete. Um, and then, you know, learning how to hone that feisty competitive nature that he has um, throughout the course of a match. And he grew a ton over, over all of the, the past three years, but particularly last year. I mean, he had to kind of grow into that role at number one. Um, and, and I think he took the challenge uh, and, and embraced it and got better as the season went on to to at the end, it felt like, you're going to go out and at the end of the day, I mean, you're going to take him at number one over anybody else's number one um, on, on a dual match day. Did you guys have the conversation? I mean, I'm sure you did and I don't mean to violate the privacy of that conversation, but you know, do you guys have a conversation of, Hey Adrian, like maybe it is time to go pro. And I'm just curious because you want to coach players with pro aspirations. I know that about you. I know that about every top program uh, in college tennis. That's what it takes to be at the top. How candid is that conversation between you and Adrian, that dialogue of saying, well, go play pros this fall. Let's see how, you know, let's go see what you can do. 
No, I mean, of, of course, we're always talking about, you know, what's best for each individual player, um, you know, but there, there's a lot to it, you know, I mean, what resources, what setup, um, what's their, what's everything involved, you know, what country are they from, what, what are they going to have, what opportunities are they going to have, what's their, what's their training situation like at home versus uh, in, in college, what are their, you know, what's their academic situation look like? Uh, I think it all comes together and everybody's in a different, in a different place. I mean, last December, I was having that conversation with Jensen where he's not sure, do I come back? Do I not come back? Um, his setup, now I didn't know that he was going to finish the first year <laughs> in the top, you know, 60, uh, thought he's ready. He needs to do this. He has infrastructure. It's time, um, go you know and uh and so you know we we have that conversation with everybody and i think when it's time it will be time um you know for for each each individual player but everybody's on a different path and in a different situation and and to be honest you know what we're able to do at a place like baylor um it's hard to top that not being here um and you can set things up in a way that it is beneficial to him and uh to his future to actually remain at baylor mm -hmm. um you know and he's got a lot of unfinished business and you know guys guys like him love to to compete as part of the team and and he knows he's going to be able to play for himself for many many years mm -hmm. um you know and uh he's having opportunities even now to represent his country and to represent baylor and i mean he, for him i think if you were to ask him the honest truth is what more could he really ask for yeah, and he's improving. And at the end of the day, like that's that's what we're tasked with. I mean, is you know when Matias got here, is he better now than when he got here? Yes. Is Adrian better than when he got here? Yes. Sven. Yes. Finn. Yes. Like you have to go down the list, and if the answer is no, then we need to do a better job. Yeah. Isak. Yes. George. Yes. Eh, like, George. Eh. George held back. Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. uh, no, it, you know me. Me holding everyone back. Yeah. Those guys are incredible, and and I, I think you have to. I mean, it, you know, we would be we are not doing our jobs if we're not helping them get closer to being successful professional players. If that's what they aspire to do. Yeah, Cody Soto thriving, no doubt about thriving. that. Absolutely yeah, thriving. yeah. Uh, no, and again, with all due respect to Sven, who you can put with me, you can put with you, you can put with anyone on campus, probably a top ten doubles player, uh, you know, doubles team. And I think inherently in singles, there's more opportunity for him to just – he's better than what his record was last season. What, two wins over 500? He is better than that. We all know that. Let's flush out the Matias was good, not great last year argument because, yes, he had some excellent wins. I agree with you. And you look for Matias throughout the course of the season. Uh, again, a guy who certainly – what was it, like 15 and 15 and 5, something crazy like that throughout the course of the year during the dual match season – you look at how he ended his year, and again, end of the season, everyone's banged up, injured. You play a ton of matches. You know, the loss to Reynolds, to Riffis, to Nava. I just feel like there was some low-hanging fruit because I know how good he can be, and it feels like, yeah, he was he was solid last year. But, the idea, you know, I feel like the idea of him having at number two, he has the potential to be a lock at that number two position. And I feel like, again, where's the inherent growth? Could he rip off a 20-2 and two season at the two-singles spot? I think he's capable of that, yes. 
100%. I think, um, you know, yeah, yes, of course, he, you know, guys, guys who are really, really strong players beat him last mm -hmm. year. Um, you know, there were situations where I think he wished he had played better. He, he managed situations a little bit better. I think that the thing that, that we love about Matias is that when the chips are down, you're in a good spot, you know, I mean, and, and it wasn't that he wasn't trying to win in some of these matches, but when we really needed him to win, I can only think of maybe one time where he didn't come through, maybe against Riffis. And I mean, Riffis won the national championship and individually. So that's not a bad loss. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, but he, he beat Famba, he beat Monday, he beat Braswell twice, he beat Spaziri. You know, I mean, every time it was like four, three or really a tight match, he won. I mean, he delivered the goods. Uh, and so I, I, you know, I'll defend him there, but at the same time, Yes, he has room for growth. He knows he, you know, there are some areas of his game that he he has wanted to improve. And, um, you know, I, he's taking it upon himself and Sven's taking it upon himself that, like, they, they want to be better. They want to be the best, you know, lineup one through six in the entire country, uh, the most complete team we talk about. Uh, and they know that they can be better. They've shown a lot of signs of that um, through this past fall, through the summer, through the fall, and you know, going into this spring. I, to be honest with you, the practice that I've seen the past week, I've never seen them playing this intelligently, this well, this you know, kind of fit and, and hungry uh, to, to break records and to have success and to lead this team. Uh, and it's exciting to see out of those guys because that's that's the fun part. You know, you see the growth of them just personally and um, and with their level and to, to know their aspirations. Um, they do have it in them, and, and I challenge them to go out and, and reach for more. Fantastic tour guides as well for whatever it's worth. Excellent. Not excellent. the best at driving the golf cart. No, they were excellent at driving That the actually I would believe. <laughs> yeah, um, but – can I get this story now that we're years removed of Sven and Jimmy not liking each other? Because the fact, I mean, they were number one in the country, but it sounds like it was not, it was Rocky Stark. Well, Sven's Eastern European, and <laughs> Jimmy is um, isn't was raised, um, you know, where it was all about him all the time, um, <laughs> you know, and and he just just in his tennis journey sure. uh, you know, he was coached one-on-one -on -one. he wasn't around a lot of other people so uh he was very excited all the time to, mm -hmm. to he loves to talk and share and bounce ideas off of people and talk about himself and talk about other people and mm -hmm. and sven was stubborn when he got here you know and it, he doesn't he's he didn't understand necessarily the system of not not that we have a system but the college tennis and college athletics and college. I mean, in being in the United States and they lived together right away. And I think that was a lot, you know, Jimmy been here for a while and, and Sven is this kind of gruff, like, you know, a little bit more introverted person and still, you know, you're still trying to get used to the, to the environment here. And I think they just clashed with their personalities. Um, you know, but they both are fierce competitors and want to win. And we put them together their sophomore year in doubles in the fall. And uh, because we thought this gives us the best chance to have success right now this week. And they won the All-Americans, came through qualities, never had pra played a practice set together one time. Um, and that was it. There was like all of a sudden they're the long lost brothers, <laughs> best buddies, like in love i mean it was amazing yeah. um you know but they they were able to work out their differences on the court 
and that made them closer personally and i think that that's really special stuff i mean they're both such good young men um to see them grow and impact each other is really cool i mean you know so th that was kind of the story they just have different personalities but they came to mesh so well together that i mean they're still extremely close today yeah no i mean it's hilarious because again i got the chance to see them interact when i was down in waco and it's not the same, but it's kind of the same. I have doubles partners from the past, and it's I know that feeling of when you're back with your doubles partner, there's just like a communication you two have that like, you know, you're just kind of on a different level where there's a look you could give them, and it's like, yeah, I know what you're thinking. And Jimmy and, and uh, Sven had that look, and I was just like, oh, I've seen that before. I was kind of mad Connie wasn't there because I wanted to see the jealousy and like the <laughs> butting heads because that's, that's my diet, that's my bread and butter. But, you know, again, talking about, that adjustment of coming to a new school, adjusting to a new culture, fitting in with the program and figuring out your place within that program. Obviously, I talk about the big roster. It's a lot earlier. It's a lot of new faces for you all. And I know there are faces that have some experience in college tennis. You look at a guy like Mizuchi, a guy like Brom, a guy like Gromley, Paralek. Those are guys who have obviously played college tennis before, but they've never played at Baylor. They've never gone to school for a semester in Waco, and obviously you bring in uh, a couple of freshmen as well in uh, Marco and Ethan and I'm blanking on one, on Justin, there it is. Um, but, you know, again, talk to me how the new guys have fit in this fall, what you've seen from your team and how nice it's been to just have everyone back on campus. It, it has been really nice to have everybody on campus and, and feel up until now that we are getting back to some normalcy um you know and and i know we're not out of the woods yet as a as a country and and and, and the world um but it's nice to be getting closer uh to that and it you know but it is like you said i mean it is a very different team um it's a fantastic group of guys we've really enjoyed working with these guys i mean there's they have so much to offer personally. They have so much to offer as tennis players. Uh, but I think that's going to be the real challenge for this group is, uh, are they going to be able to, to find their leadership voices, the guys that are returning? Are, are the new guys going to kind of fit into the culture as well as find their voice um, and, and put their spin on this this version of the Baylor men's tennis team um, and so you know we're going to have we're going to be able to figure that out pretty soon but I think they've started to come together as a group they understand the task at hand and I mean they certainly have the tools to do it in the locker room I think it's just going to be are they going to be able to come together and and I mean you know wise man once said it's the team that loves each other the most that again that wins uh, and and I think that that he was onto something yeah no we both know who that wise man is as well again I, I referenced this earlier you look at the numbers from last season 23 and 5 at 4 32 and 5 at 5, 31 and 4 at 6. So your lowest win percentage in those three spots is 82%. I mean, that's about as close to saying, all right, we've got three points on the board. Let's just find one more moving forward as you can get. And I mean, here's the difference Nick played one singles at Duke. You know, Spencer played two singles at Duke. And that's an ACC conference when you're playing top two in the lineup. I don't, you know, regardless of the season, moving you to four, five, six, I don't care the conference, those guys, you knew what they were. Charlie was number one at Dartmouth, was a top 70 player in the country. You knew exactly what he was. 
Now, that's not to say Mizuchi and Paralek and Brum haven't had success, but I don't think it's that degree of success. And, of course, Marco, you know, according to Chris's Serbian sources, you know, we, we don't know exactly what he's going to look like here early on. Cole's had different injuries as well, all of these different things. It just feels like there's a little bit more unknown about this group than there was last year's group. That said, I mean, how has this group competed? Because, you know, I, I feel like Sven, Matias, Adrian, not in that order, but I'm very certain they're going to be in the singles lineup. There's a lot of competition at the bottom half of that spot, though, for playing time. I think if you if you want to go through the experience that the new guys have had, I mean, Teddy played as high as two, hmm. um, you know, played multiple times two years ago. He's playing two and three. Jacobs played one at Cal. Cole's played one at Georgia Tech. Wampy's played two and three at Central Florida. I mean, it sounds about the same if you ask me. And there's four of them instead of three. I mean, out with the old guys and in with the new. I guess the difference would be the four years. It's that they were four-year starters. It's that they were fifth years. And so that's the difference. Is like you're getting a fifth-year starter. There is nothing those three guys haven't seen. You're right. From a playing perspective, those guys have played a lot. But, like, Brum didn't play last year because Cal season got cut short. And, like— Mizuchi's a little younger you know Cole's a little younger that's the difference makes total sense (laughs) playing devil's advocate I know no Uh, this is why I appreciate having you here the uh you know no I mean I completely understand I I think that's also part of the exciting thing you know Teddy's got three years Swampy's got two Cole has two or three Jacob has one or two you know we've got a lot of opportunity there and and we're going to be able to continue to build with them and um, you know, they, they're certainly, there's a lot of, you know, unknowns. I think there was a lot of unknowns with, with the group last year, and it's just about finding the right combinations and making sure that they, you know, kind of fit into the, the role that, that makes the most sense for them and gives them an opportunity to develop on and off the court. Um, and I, I've been really impressed by these guys. I mean, they, they put their heads down, they work, they're excited to come to practice every day. They're, they're hungry for more, um, you know, and the group that we have, I mean, yeah, we can talk about Adrian, Matias, and Sven, but, you know, I really, I, there's there's so much more to this team than, than them. And um, I, that's what really excites me about the group is I think we can go in so many different directions um, with our lineup and with this group and have success that I think it's going to make it a lot of fun this year. And I want to get to some big picture questions here. We're going to blow through the hour mark time-wise, no doubt about that. You knew what you were getting into. Um you know, 33 and 22 overall in the fall in singles. Obviously, you had a bunch of guys playing pro events and, you know, some guys managing injuries as well. But, you know, only four different doubles combinations. You're the defending champs, but if you want to hit that 19 from last year, you guys got to get to work uh, in terms of the doubles pairings. But, you know, all of that said, a lot of pro events on your team's schedule this fall. Why'd you schedule like that? Yeah, I mean, we had a hundred, you know, those guys on our current roster had 150 ATP points in the fall. I mean, that's pretty good. Um, You know, I I, was really impressed by that. I think, you know, guys' willingness to go out, put it on the line and compete uh, is is really what we're looking for. You know, guys going out and playing UTR Pro Series. I mean, Wampy won one. Teddy and Sven did extremely well in a couple of them. Um, you know, and, and just going out there, putting it on the line, competing day in and day out. Guys got better from from playing those matches, from going out and playing these these pro events. Uh, we had a, lots of success. I mean, Adrian, Matias, Sven. Finn beat, you know, a really good Sander Zhang. He beat Martin Dam. He beat Blaise Bicknell. Um, you know, he had a lot of success in, in the fall. Um, you know, so so those guys, I, I feel like 
yes, our record was whatever, 33 and 22, you know, in, uh, in college matches, but I think the, the pro events were, it's probably even better record than that, which is hard to do in professional events. I mean, but th their willingness to go out and compete day in and day out and travel around and uh, lay it on the line was really impressive. And uh, I think I've seen a lot from them and, and certainly there's some unknowns, you know, we had guys that, that weren't able to play college events this fall, uh, you know, for due to transfer and um, you know some guys we we just feel like depending on who they are and what they're ready for uh, we want to make sure that they're being challenged all the time I think you'll get to one of the big picture questions which is oh do we want to do hidden duels we love hidden duels and um, you know that's that's great but at the end of the day you know I, I think we've got guys that maybe somebody that's going to play six is, is probably a little bit better than the number six position at most schools and um, you know we want to make we don't want to tell somebody that this is who they are and slot them in we want them to to grow and be challenged and if we have seven or eight guys that need to be challenged at a at a main draw for futures professional level or higher then they need to do that and let's let's see where they're at so that we can continue to work to get better for the record you slipped into an alex gruskin impression there it was pretty good my college <laughs> roommate does a fantastic one he gets like the high pitch in my voice when i get excited and it's, it's very, very funny. Uh, but you talk about challenging the guys. Uh, obviously, there's an Arizona swing. Uh, that's going to be a challenging trip. You're coming up to Ann Arbor to play the Wolverines. You've got Texas non-conference on the schedule, Illinois on the schedule, TCU non-conference on the schedule as well, Virginia. How could I forget that? Coming to town, and I think originally 14 matches scheduled before the national indoors, and you know, obviously that includes the kickoff weekend. And I know this weekend's matches are canceled, but – you know, I know your scheduling philosophy, play the best to beat the best. And I, a lot of teams in your position are doing that nowadays. I am curious with that schedule in mind, will you craft some time in there for, let's say Adrian wants to go play a challenger or two, or gets a wild card into the ATP event in Dallas. And, you know, same with Matias, Sven, if they've got pro aspirations, they want to go play some pro events. Is that something you built in uh, to your schedule this year? Well, I, I think we schedule to to play the the best teams and uh you know kind of schedule when we schedule um sure. you know, I, we're not leaving weeks open because I, I think if guys are gone and we'll just play with who we have and we feel like we can remove a guy or two from our lineup and still be one of the best teams in the country um, i think you know that's our hope and and if somebody's missing for davis cup or for you know a, a challenger a future if that's the right thing to do for them and for the team then it's it's an opportunity for someone else that that is very welcomed here, you know, within our team and, and uh, you know, kind of what we're trying to build. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, it's a really difficult schedule. I mean, we're, we go on the road six straight weeks, six in a row, um, you know, and, and not to easy teams. I mean, Oklahoma is going to be really good this year. Illinois, Arizona State is, has reloaded. Arizona is going to be one of the best teams in the country. Michigan is I mean, we've enjoyed going up there, but my goodness, is that a difficult team to play at home? Um, and so we're really excited about all of those opportunities. And I think this is the group that we, you know, that we have the group to be able to to challenge them and, and do this. I think we're going to, you know, have some success. I think we're going to have some setbacks. And I think it's ultimately going to set us up to be the best versions of, our, of ourselves in May. Yeah, well, you talk about, again, building that team. This is how we can transition away from the big picture uh, from your team. We'll get back to it at the end, but some big picture stuff. 
Well, God, again, I, I feel like any time I ask a coach about the transfer portal, they are inherently talking about your team, and I like always have a slight smirk on my face. And that's not meant to be a shot, by the way, at any of the coaches who I'm so grateful for giving me time. But look, it was a very prominent exam- example. Nick comes in, Charlie comes in, Spencer comes in, half the lineup, NCAA championship. Obviously, you know, there's a uh, plethora of options right now in the transfer portal given that extra year for COVID eligibility. And, you know, again, looking at the roster, you bring in a Teddy, you bring in a Brum, you bring in a Cole, all these different faces from the transfer portal, Mizuchi as well. How are you balancing those two things? And again, what is it about, I guess, A, what is it about the transfer portal players that have appealed to you? And B, moving forward, you know, how are you going to balance those two things? Yeah, I've enjoyed listening to all of the different, uh, you know, some people say Baylor, some talk about Baylor and don't say it, you know, hush, hush, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Uh, I've really enjoyed it, um, you know, to hear all the different perspectives. I think there's so many great perspectives out there. And at the end of the day, I think all of all we want to do as coaches is impact young lives and and help young men or on the women's side young women you know further along their path than where they started leave the leave the jersey in a better place than they found it you know move them closer to their ultimate goals and i think we just differ depending on you know how long does that take to make an impact i mean do you need one year do you need four years do you need six years in order to be able to truly make an impact on a young man or young woman's life and um you know for us we're ultimately looking at who fits our culture and can we help them you know i mean can we help them can they contribute who fits our culture and to me, that has come in a number of different ways. You know, I, I don't think, you know, like you, you've you said multiple times, you know, you destigmatizing the transfer. I think you've got to find the right fit and the right pieces um, for your culture. And those players need to find a place that truly feels like home for them, uh, where they can get everything out of their college experience that they want and have the support, you know, during and after the time that they're in college to be able to have success, whether that's on the tennis court or after the ball stops bouncing professionally. Um, and I think you can see that with look at Charlie Broom. I mean, the guy literally, I don't think he understands what losing means. I mean, has he lost since he lost to Shelton? I'm not sure. I mean, he, he's in the semis of singles, hasn't dropped a set this week in the finals of doubles with Alistair. And, um, you know, to me i feel like we've had a phenomenal relationship and we're extremely close and we only spent one year together of eligible tennis but the guy's bases here you know some of the time he bases in in london some of the time and i think that that's a really special relationship we have nick and spencer are on different paths you know nick is finishing up his master's and and will be going into the professional world doing exactly what he wanted to do through a connection that he made through a tennis alum here at Baylor um, and and other tennis, you know, uh, connections here. And, um, you know, and then Spencer wants to coach and he's going to be a better coach than me probably by the end of this (laughs) week. Um, You know, if he isn't already, I mean, the guy's incredible. And so, um, you know, but those are the relationships that we love to have. And even though that those were only one year, um, I feel like 
we were able to help them along the path that they wanted to go on and it, and they made us so much better all the players all the staff members us as coaches i mean i'm thankful every day for those guys and i think it's one year oh they're grad transfers it you're it's like a plug and play but it's really not i mean these are lifelong relationships i mean i'm 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 impacted every day by those guys and i think at the end of the day year is a really long time Uh, and so certainly do we want to have you know guys for as many years as possible absolutely but i think for us it's looking at everyone that we possibly can look at and who gives us the best opportunity to have success as a team who gives us the best opportunity to push us to become better as people and as professionals and who can we help along their path and the honest truth is there are a lot that this is just Baylor's not the right fit for them you know but there there are some on the transfer portal or that are incoming freshmen that this is the right place for them and we're the they're the right people for us um you know and and we are trying to do the best we can to to recruit the right young men for the program that are going to make us better and um that we can hopefully help make them better can i also posit a theory by you sure yeah you should have said no and i'll be like all right we can move on um but i also think and this is again byproduct last two years in particular You'd seen Mizuchi play. You'd seen Brum play, Gromley play. Like, I feel like right now in particular for the freshmen, it was pretty hard to see a lot of them play. Fewer junior tournaments have live streams than college matches do. And so I am curious with, you know, recruiting opening up now and you being able to travel to events once again. Am I on to any sort of theory here? Just now that you're able to see them more, is it going to be a little bit easier and more willing to recruit those freshmen? (sighs) Yeah, yes, I think so. But, you know, I think it it might even go the other way, Alex. Like, I think they know more about who, what we're about than we know about them. Um, You know, yes, we know what we're going to get. We know Teddy. We've seen Jacob. We've seen Cole. We've seen Wampy. You know, we know these guys. So we do know what we're going to get probably from a tennis perspective. But these guys are experienced in college and they, at the point that they're at when they're making a decision to make a move, they know what they're looking for and they are very plugged in with, with who, you know, is on different teams around the country and what they've seen in competition and how we've, you know, either, you know, behaved on and off the court and, and they, they're understanding. I mean, when you're a 17 and 18 year old, and, and you're taking your five visits. I think you said it to Ty or somebody, maybe it was Andres the other day, um, you know, oh, like I'm, I'm squeezing, you know, that, that lemon dry. Like we are, I'm going all five visits and I'm going to have a heck of a time. I mean, t- like, please take me to a school in the top 50, top 75 where you go and you go on a visit and you walk away and you're like, that was awful. Like I, I I mean, they just, they did not sell me at all. This is out, you know, Mm -hmm. everybody does a phenomenal job and and it's really hard to tell what it's actually going to be like at 17 or 18 years old. And so that's, you know, something where I think as transfers, they have a little bit more power. They have a more understanding They're They're maybe a little bit more mature in, in, in that situation to make a decision. Oh, this is really what I want. And, you know, I've kind of seen it, I've done it. I'm over the next year or two years or through whatever it is, I want to accomplish this and I'm going to go and I'm going to find it. And you're seeing guys go to, to places like Georgia, places like we've been very fortunate to, to have some guys trust us, 
you know, with, with their futures, um, you know, but it's not just us. I mean, there's a lot of, of great programs and, and they're at Ohio State, you know, they're known for certain things and certain cultures and aspects of things that, and these guys hear about it and they see it and they feel it. And then they, they know this is what I want to do with the, the rest of my time. Mm-hmm. No, I, I think that's completely fair. And with all of that said, again, big picture questions here. I've got them listed out. Why is college tennis deeper? now than it was 10 years ago why has the product improved well i think we're we're more equipped to help them from a support staff standpoint um you know i think we've always had three coaches and working really hard but um you know i think we're able to really put a team around each player um you know that allows them to to develop uh, more and i think globally we just we're just more plugged in i mean it's easy to communicate with people around the world now and so there's you know everyone around the world tennis is the second most popular sport is being seen and college tennis is seen and felt and touched more often from a social media perspective and there's an allure to it uh, from more players and as guys like paul jubb and cam nori let's take you know the lta for example they're sending players here because they're they're coming at they're having success and they're going out and they're winning i mean one person that no one is talking about is charlie broom and the guy is doing phenomenally well and you might see him climbing up into the top 100 here before too long um and so there are a lot of guys like that that are moving on and having success um and so their federations are saying oh i mean we're, we're dealing with it right now with adrian R- romania oh you know look look at how well adrian's doing and how much he's progressing like this is a pathway and you know prove we're proving the concept the players are proving the concept which begets more players coming to college uh, and so i think that's you know why it's deeper and there's just a lot of opportunity a lot of schools do a really really good job developing players and giving them opportunities and um you know and and just listening to all the podcasts and all these great coaches uh really proves it i mean i've learned more probably over the last 30 days than i had the previous year of being a head coach by just listening to all the other great coaches talk about what they do and no wonder they're successful i'm the Khan academy for college tennis coaches that's what i pride myself <laughs> it's just a big town hall um no i i would agree with every uh, all of your sentiments there i i think the international aspect of the game is fantastic for the product is there a hidden gem country for recruiting just fertile talent that we don't know about you know i'm really not sure that i'm the one to ask i mean <laughs> we have nine different countries represented so it's not we're not really running a pipeline here we're like yeah. you know, like one from you and one from you and not yet uh, i'm waiting for that romanian pipeline to develop yeah i don't know i mean sylvie's got it on lockdown up there yeah. at cornell so you know <laughs> we'll see i might have to give him a call and see if he can throw us somebody yeah no um, i love but, that I love the idea uh, but, of pipelines. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and certainly that's that's an important thing. You know, I, I think at the end of the day, mm-hmm. the most important recruiters you have are your own players. If, if sure. they're happy and they're developing, I mean, they're going to tell you about it, you know, and they're going to tell their friends. And, um, you know, I think that's the most important thing for us as coaches is to make sure that they're they're developing, that they feel fulfilled um, mm-hmm. in their during their time, you know, in college. Well, I know this is a... Uh, a topic near and dear to your heart that development how important that is of course that's the allure that's how you're going to get the players there to make the product entertaining that said of course something i've talked about in this series routinely that balance between keeping college tennis as a developmental path and ensuring from an entertainment perspective that the game is able to grow 
how should we be balancing those two things in your mind? Mm. You know, I think from a from a developmental perspective, uh, we need to continue to put guys out on the tour. Um, you know, we need to continue to push for more. Um, and how do you do that, right? You, the more resources, the better the staff, the more opportunity that we can provide our current players, the, then the more we can get top level players. But then it, the flip side of that is how do you get the resources and the staff? And within administrations, it's more than just winning matches. We've seen that with certain programs, you know, getting cut or uh, not getting the funding that they necessarily need. And it's, it's unfortunate to see men's tennis in particular uh, struggling in, in certain areas of the country because uh, we do feel like the product is excellent but we need to do a really good job of engaging the community of fundraising of you know uh keeping the alumni base tied in and feeling a part of it um and just growing our overall support because that not to mention all the other things making sure that they do really well in the classroom that they go on and have success you know as professional tennis players hopefully and then afterwards um you know th those are all the things that really matter the most to our administration, um, you know, and of course we're all competitors and we want to win at the highest level too, but th there's more to it in non-revenue sports. We all have to understand that and make sure that we're doing our part. At the end of the day, if the men's or women's tennis programs are assets to the department and to the university and asset can mean so many different things, then that's a really good situation. We just can't be a liability. Um, you know, and, and there are a lot of different ways to get to being a liability and you can be a really good team and be a liability. Uh, and so I, I think it is more than the product and marketing a great product. If we're causing problems within the department, maybe we're not raising money, we're blowing the budget, uh, we're, we're not engaging the community. Um, you know, those are things that are, are critical uh, to, to the success of the, of the program. And I think that's, you know, what a lot of coaches are saying that I'm hearing. And I think a lot of people are on the right track and, uh, I'm no expert. I'm just, you know, uh, trying to do the best I can every day to, to make sure that our brand and our program is stronger so that we can hopefully help ourselves and help college tennis grow, you know, and, and put more rackets in hands of, of kids and, you know, make the product stronger, maybe get, you know, uh, more opportunity that will then give more kids that come here opportunity to have success in the long run. Yeah, no. And again, you talk about that relationship with the pros. How do we do that? Obviously, what Oracle was doing um, was was second to none um, in terms of their commitment to college tennis. We've now, unfortunately, you know, they have stepped back in that commitment. UTR has tried to step up, and what Universal Tennis is doing certainly something we applaud. Um, but again, when you look big picture here, who is responsible for that? How do we get the pros to buy in? Like you talk about putting players in the pro, is that the only mechanism? Just proving it? I mean, the proof is in the pudding a lot of times. I mean, now, but you know, the, you guys talked about it the other day. I mean, there's 17 players that are active in singles that have been top 100 and there's 12 in there right now. I mean, that's, that's a lot of proof, um, you know, but I, I do think that we need to continue to get our product out there more readily, um, you know, and, and it is a difficult thing to quantify uh, it's not necessarily ready-made for television 
Um, you know, just given all the courts going on, it is more of a live piece, but uh, it is a marketing thing. You know, we need to do a good job as, as marketers and, uh, you know, make sure that there's an excitement about the program and it needs to be promoted extremely well. And that's a consistent thing. It's, it's a whole, you've got to take a holistic approach. How do you get, you know, the community here to matches? How do you get students here to matches and excited? How do you, you know, promote the guys that are having success now and then going on and having success afterwards? And that will bring more players, which will give you more success. And then it, it, it can kind of snowball. Um, but it's it's not an easy thing. You have to figure out the best ways to build. I, we talk about building it one fan at a time. We you build legitimately one fan at a time. Maybe that fan brings a couple of other people and, and you go. And the, the way that those fans, those supporters of the program can help you, each one is in a different capacity. Maybe it's financially, maybe it's physically being in the stands, maybe it's connecting you with other people or sponsorship opportunities. Um, and it, it and it all, I mean, as you sit here and talk, you think about it, it really all comes down to relationships, right? You have great relationships with people, doors are gonna open um, and you're gonna be able to do a better job. And I think if we can continue to build great relationships with those around us that can help us in our program, it will elevate the program, which is gonna cause everyone else to elevate their programs um, and the product will continue to improve. No, I, I completely agree with you. With that said, last two questions for you, I promise, because I've kept you super overtime here. NCAAs moving to the fall. Again, Coach Chapman came on. He said he'll be most, more surprised if it doesn't than if it does. Where are you with that? I mean, I'm not, you know, I've heard a lot of people come on and say, oh, I'm old school or I hate change. I, I mean, I'm not probably in a position at my age to say that I hate change. Um, <laughs> Oldest 32-year-old has been building we, this. We dealt with this situation and the, I mean, Adrian specifically, Matias, they dealt with the, the having to go out and play singles. I mean, the, the finals finished at 12.05 AM. So, and then they technically rolled out on the same day and played at 6 PM the next night. I mean, that was very difficult emotionally. I was like, just give the best effort you can, honestly. Like, I, I can't imagine you guys um, doing more, you know, if you, as long as you give a good effort, like I'm proud of you guys, regardless of what happens. Now, Adrian willed himself, um, you know, or we willed him through, <laughs> through a lot of those matches to get to the semis where he, where he actually ran out of gas, um, you know, and, and I've had lots of time to reflect on this and what happened and why Sam, I mean, Sam was an absolute machine. So, you know, all, all credit goes to him they did play at night every night um you know we played in the middle of the day uh, and so it was hot until the finals um and i think it was physically taxing that being said one thing that i have not heard anyone say on this pod is we do have a super regional now and we only got rid of it because of covid and trying to keep covid contained when we go back to a super regional it's three matches spread out over a few days it's not going to be as bad. My solution, I, I think, because there's having it at the U.S. Open and all everything that you've talked about is is valid and would be wonderful. Uh, absolutely, no doubt. If you can pitch how it's going to work and what makes it viable, then I mean, okay, let's do it. You know, um, I, I don't know because what if the guys are now then playing in the U.S. Open at the same time? You know, I, hopefully we get to that point where the product is so good that these college players are going on and playing in the U.S. Open that same year. That would be an interesting one. But I, I just think that 
based on my experiences past year and then a couple years ago for the top couple of teams let's just give find a way so that the schedule has one extra day of rest mm-hmm. these guys are used to playing you know two weeks in a row and if they make two fine i mean if they're playing two weeks in a row that means they're doing really well so they're hot they're confident they mm-hmm. they just might need a day off maybe two and you can set a schedule so that we are able to to keep the individual tournament started and playing without being so lopsided where it's unfair uh there, there was actually a mat you know finn reynolds played sean hill i believe the night of the finals because he is not allowed to play on it because byu can't play on sundays mm-hmm. so they actually played one of those matches and to me that wasn't unfair you know like yes i think finn won that match i believe um and he had a day off the next day and then played after i, I i've got no problem with that you know, maybe you stagger in the individuals in a way as to the top couple guys, Adrian, Sam, Matias, uh, Duarte, they get a day, you know, they get a day, maybe two days, and then and then you go from there. Um, you know, so that would be my solution. I think once we lose it, it's never going to come back. Uh, and so I would be very careful to, to make a change like that, especially since the idea is being thrown out, but there's no really good solution as to uh, why? Well, there's no good reason why, and what are we going to do? You know, that's going to make it quote unquote better. And I think Bruce said that, which I really liked. Yeah, no, I like it. Well, with all that said, my final question for you, and I'm again, we're going to have you back on if I had to guess in maybe three weeks. Um, but so with all of that said, um, what's it going to take for the Bears to take another step forward here in 2022? I think it's going to take uh, great leadership from the guys you know uh really them coming together um you know supporting one another i think it's going to be a difficult year we've already seen that the first two weeks of our season is you know it has thrown us quite a few curveballs here and uh, i think you know the, the guys buying into what they really want to accomplish um you know and there's there's no guarantees i mean as as we're going through all these these rosters and and teams and rankings i mean wow what a what a loaded group of of college tennis teams on on the men's side i mean on the women's side as well and uh we're we're very fortunate to be mentioned in that but you know preseason rankings mean nothing um you know what we did last year means absolutely nothing uh at at this point so i think it's gonna it's gonna come from the guys you know making commitment to each other and to themselves that they're going to sacrifice what they need to and and do what they need to do just to give themselves the best chance to be who they are and be the best version of themselves on the given day um, and hopefully we can put our heads down and get a little bit better each day and have an opportunity to do something special at the end of the year i love it well coach woodson you have been particularly kind uh to us here at crack rackets over the years tolerating all of our nonsense and we're quite grateful for that fact obviously uh we will be watching and wishing your team safety health and of course success throughout 2022 so thank you as always for taking the time to join the show always appreciate it you guys are awesome. Uh, you know, hats off to, to Daniel and uh, Dalton for keeping you in line and, and just really <laughs> appreciate everything that you guys are doing for college tennis. I mean, you're lifting our level. You're making us better as, as coaches, as programs, uh, as administrations. And, uh, you know, I, I hope we can continue to have this snowball effect where there's more, you know, more attention given to these young men and young women. I mean, they're the, the best of the best in the world, so they deserve it. We appreciate it. And let's keep growing together. I amend my question from earlier. Shorsh, Boitan, or Westoff? Who lines up at one? 
Wow, Westhoff, come on. Yeah, especially in that quarter zip. I mean, let's be real. Yeah, I'm so upset that the veneer has been bursted, and you now know who actually is the talented man here at Crack Rack. It's devastating for me. But, Coach, again, thank you so much, uh, and I'm sure we'll chat more soon. Sounds good. Have a great one. Take care.